Hey, this is Dan Tedesco, and you are listening to Jim and Mike Talk Music. Do you want to know the truth? I saw it playing solitaire On its phone during lunchtime Its eyes fixed in a stare Across the table was a good time In its eyes was the proof Maybe I can introduce you Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to know the truth? I heard it isn't very kind Today we have a special guest with us. He's a singer-songwriter based in Iowa. Since 2009, he's released six studio albums, several live albums, and many standalone singles. In 2019, he toured the U.S. to support his album, American Darkness. And in 2020, he created a revolutionary new music platform to showcase his new music, live performances, and member-only music experiences. Let's welcome the Jim and Mike Talk Music, one of the hardest working musicians out there, Dan Tedesco. And there's the crowd. <laughs> so how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Things are uh, slowly warming up here, so it's getting more tolerable in Iowa. <laughs> What's the weather like there? I mean, uh, I'm in New Jersey. So. Uh, it's been it's been actually pretty warm. Today's not a great example. It's back into the 40s and raining, but it's it's been getting into the 60s and 70s. Things are starting to come to life outside a little bit. So, I don't know much about Iowa. Do you get snow there at all? Oh yeah, we get we we got dumped oh. on this year. Oh, okay. It's probably one of the one of the snowiest years that I've experienced in the Midwest in recent memory. You grew up around Chicago or near Chicago. Yep. Um, I'm from a town called St. Charles, which is about 40, 45 miles straight west of Chicago. Okay. How long have you lived in Iowa? I mean, how long have you been away from Chicago? Oh, I've been away from Chicago since I was, well, I, I was out and back. I was, I left when I was 18 to go to okay. school in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I was back in Chicago from 2006 to 2013. And that was actually in the city proper. And, okay. uh, and then I was, I've been in, I- in Iowa since 2014. Now, is it true that Chicago has the best pizza of anywhere? <laughs> uh, you know, actually, so my, my family's from New Jersey originally, not oh, okay. myself. I'm a person that's not. I grew up spending a lot of time going back and traveling to the East Coast. And I actually like east coast pizza even more but chicago is pretty pretty great i'm not a huge fan of the real deep dish like the gino's east style it's just like eating a loaf of bread with every every slice uh-huh. um, yeah i like luminati's that's my favorite if you're ever in chicago I, that's what i recommend um trying but i really like the new jersey style and the new york style the most 
you're mostly a songwriter, guitar player, and piano, but you can play many other instruments, I think. So tell me when you were a kid, maybe the first instrument you took a liking to or started to play. Yeah, I started on the piano. Uh, I was real little. I, I think I was just right around five when I started. Everything really sprung from that. That, that was my first introduction to any kind of performing music. And the guitar when? Yeah, from piano, I ended up playing violin for a couple of years after that mm-hmm. um, when I was in uh, elementary school. And then I started playing guitar shortly after, after the violin, which would have been sometime in like early junior high. I started playing guitar when I was 11. So I, st- I still play piano a ton, as you mentioned. I haven't played violin in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I would imagine that my bow technique is not quite up to par. It might not sound so great, but I can still figure out where the notes are. I know how they how they lay on the on the on the fretboard mm-hmm. or the fingerboard. So I could probably get that back if I if I had some time to spend with it. But that one's not as as much in my life these days. And then obviously the guitar is my primary mm-hmm. instrument. Yeah, I remember um, my first instrument was the clarinet in school. Oh yeah. How'd that go? Not well. I didn't play for too long. And then I always would try an instrument, but realized, I guess you have to keep at it to master it. I bought a saxophone, I remember one time from Sears. <laughs> the Sears. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, the thing the thing with wind instruments um, in particular, they've got such a, like a sharp or steep learning curve just to be able to get somewhat of a, of um an acknowledgeable sound out of mm-hmm. you know so you to get past like the dying animal tone you know you you have to get a certain amount of technique down which takes a while you know especially if you're relatively young like the patience to get through that you know mm-hmm. it, it, it's not something that comes super easily so even with the guitar there's there's a some things you have to get sort of past and you know, just the, the pain on your fingertips from the strings and just some of the the, even just having the strength in your fingers to push down a string. Oh yeah. yeah. And those things people don't think about, like there, you have to, there, there's like some stages you go through just to be able to actually get the instrument to sound, mm-hmm. you know, which is why piano is so great because you can just sit down, hit a note and boom, instantly it sounds good. Yeah. So for a oh, little yeah. kid. Yeah. The wind you know, they instruments get, are, I, I bought a trumpet too at one time thinking, Oh, it's only got three, <laughs> three valves. Yeah. But it's brutal, man. And then yeah. even once you can get those three notes to get the other notes, all the things you have to learn how to do with aperture with your mouth. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a process. So if you're not, they're, they're tricky instruments to start. And I, I always recommend when people are, are just starting out, whether they're little kids or, or older people to start with the piano, just because that instant feedback is so positive. It gets you excited. I think it keeps you more engaged. And then if you want to go on to something from there, you also have like the visual of the piano keyboard to work from. So when you're playing wind instrument, which is very much everything's kind of in your head, you have to picture where the notes fall and what the scales look like and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. You have that picture of the piano keyboard to go back to, and it gives you a really nice reference point yeah. to, uh, to kind of bring from. So mm-hmm. piano is a good, a good gateway, good gateway into the music world. So what were some of your musical influences when you were growing up? Um, like when you were a teen? When I started playing guitar, I was 11. So that would put us at 1993. Okay. Which was kind of an interesting time to be starting to play guitar because that mm-hmm. instrument was sort of crushed at that point in mainstream yeah. <laughs> music uh, with the advent of the whole grunge movement. Um, so I, I was listening to 
a lot of classic rock. I mean, you know, like on the radio at that time, at the classic rock radio would have been playing things from like the 60s and 70s. So that was a lot of guitar driven music, you know, Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, well, I mean, you can go on and on with who that would have included. I do remember at that time, like uh, the 10 record by Pearl Jam was only, a, what, that came out mm-hmm. in like 91, I think. Yeah. That was only a couple years old. And Michael Creedy was playing all kinds of crazy guitar stuff on that. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. he was pulling all kinds of like Steve Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix licks out. So to have that on the radio and be something that was relevant, I was maybe a little young for it, but I loved, I loved this, the sound of it. So I definitely spent some time with that album. The first guitar solo I ever learned was from um, Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. Oh, okay. And that guy, I forget yeah. his name. He, he's a great player. I spent a lot of time with that solo. Not that those were massive influences. I mean, the reason I picked up a guitar was because of Eddie Van Halen. They were, at that time, the Four Lawful Carl Knowledge record had just come out, which was not like a lot of great songs that I still love on there. But in, in terms of like the Van Halen catalog, that's not mm-hmm. one most people put up very high. It's because it's a little bit more commercial. It's not like the early stuff they did with David Lee Roth, which I certainly went back to and spent a lot of time, time with. Eddie Van Halen was a huge, still is a huge influence on me. As a guitar player, as a guitar player, and kind of as, as a musician in general. Did you ever see Van Halen in concert? Yeah, I got to, I got to see them in '98 when they did the Van Halen Three thing with Gary Sharon, which I I find some things in that that I liked, but a lot of people would probably say that I never really did get to see Van Halen. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, I got to see Eddie. That was cool um, to see him do his thing in person was something pretty special. But, you know, like my, my parents grew up on a lot of like 60s pop music. So I had mm-hmm. tons of Beatles that was being played around me and the Beach Boys and guys like Paul Simon and James Taylor. You know, music that you look back on it now, it was such an interesting time because the level of musicianship, along with the level of commercial success, kind of something that's still, you don't really see that anymore. Like that was a very unique period where the best like technical musicians were also the most commercially popular at that era that, that I was exposed to by way of my parents was a pretty am- amazing thing to have in my ears as a kid mm-hmm. when you're super impressionable. So that's what I grew up listening to. And I had spring scene and things. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. was never far being with a family in New Jersey. I think um, the I think the seventies were like all over the place. Unique. Oh yeah. That was oh, crazy. Man, yeah. I mean, to have something like Frank Zappa going on at the same time that you had some of the pop music that was going on at the time, and it was all mm-hmm. happening, and it was all, all relatively. I mean, back then, of course, the channels to access music were few and far between, but that that range of music was being broadcast through those those minimal channels. I mean, today you can find that stuff, but you really have to dig. I mean, it's out there, but you have to dig for it, and you can find it much more easily than I think you could back then. I mean, then you. I had to go dig through record bins and try to find stuff that looked cool with a cool album cover or something that you'd heard about. Yeah. I mean, with Apple music, I don't know. I think it's more, I think it's more accessible through like Apple music or Spotify or stuff like that. Sure. Oh, it it totally is. It's just a different thing now. I mean, the way, I mean, you can, you can, you can get any, go find anything you want to check out, which is, which is super, Mm -hmm. super incredible. Yeah. And you can do it all on your own. On your own motivation, I suppose, versus having a DJ say, "Hey, this is something I found. Go check it out." It's just a different, mm-hmm. different way that it that it moves now. But I think it's great that there's record stores popping up again. 
I, I collect. Oh, yeah. I started collecting vinyl maybe three, four years ago. Again, <laughs> buying stuff that yeah, I had yeah. when I was a kid or a teenager, stuff that I had sold, yeah. and now I'm buying it back again. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to people who have like bought their first record, you know, in 30 years, like last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a huge gap. Were, you know, and I have friends that own stores that are that are doing great, and it's. It's wonderful to see that community, you know, thriving. So um, do you remember the first song you wrote? First song I wrote. I mean, if you really want me to answer that, it would be something. Well, no, I mean, I've been I've been writing music in some form or another since I was pretty young. Like I I first went into a recording studio to record some things I'd written that I was playing with with a band of mine at the time. And I think we were in, we went in the studio in like 95 or not. I mean, I was, I'd only been playing guitar at the time for a few years and we were mm-hmm. doing instrumental stuff. I, I was really early on as a guitar player, aside from the Van Halen thing, I didn't sing, never thought I'd be a singer. I had no mm-hmm. real aspirations to be a singer at that time. So I was real into the instrumental players like Satriani um, and Joe Satriani, Eric Johnson, those not so much Steve Vai. I was real. I was more Satriani and Eric Johnson that I was big into. So I was writing a lot of music like that. So I I'd, I'd written these instrumental pieces, and I had a band at the time that we didn't really play out. We just played in the basement because again mm-hmm. we didn't have a singer. So no one who was like thirteen really wanted to come see guys <laughs> just play a bunch of instrumental mm-hmm. stuff. But I that's what we were doing. So that was the first thing that I that project. I think it was maybe two songs we went in and recorded. That would probably technically be the first real official thing I ever wrote and put down to tape or, or CD okay. at the time. Uh, I want to say, if I remember the songs correctly, one was called Fly High. And I forget mm-hmm. what the other one was called, Memories or Something. It's memory of Something. It's been a long time. I haven't played any of that stuff mm-hmm. probably since it was written. Do you still have those? I've got a tape of them somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't... I, we, we had cassettes. Everybody that was in that band with me, it was four of us, all got cassettes of them. And I haven't seen mine in a long time, but I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Hoping the redundancy of the three other members means there's one somewhere. Because it would be interesting to go back and, and, and listen, listen to that stuff. I yeah. haven't heard it. I mean, yeah. I would totally share something. Like and if I could get it get it uh, put into a digital format where I could upload it, I would mm-hmm. totally make that be something. Let, let people hear that. I mean, I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm actually really proud of what we did. I think for being... 13 or 14 it's it's not bad stuff so it'll be cool to have your first your first song you ever recorded you know that's yeah well and then i have another project i did probably would would have been about seven years later i think i did it in 2003 when i was in in arizona um and that was the first time i ever went to studio and like sang and recorded like you Mm -hmm. know traditions like a traditional song in the sense where there's vocals and all that and that that stuff, if you were to ask me about the first song I wrote from that, for that, in that period, that would have been like when I really started writing my own songs with lyrics and the whole, the whole package. Mm-hmm. There is, I can't think, I think it was a song called Forever Change. And if I remember correctly, I wrote it after seeing Springsteen and the Rising tour okay. in 2002. And this was an interesting period because I've been, again, doing mostly instrumental music and I was playing guitar in, in a band in, in college that was somebody else was singing and I was just singing some harmonies and playing a bunch of guitar stuff. And I was studying jazz and 
right around the time that that album came out and he came on tour and he was going to be in Arizona. So I went and saw it. I hadn't seen him before having grown up, you know, being exposed to his music. Something about seeing him coincided with getting back into like Dylan and then like going back to like Woody Guthrie and exploring mm-hmm. the whole history kind of, of the folk songwriting traditions. Things sort of aligned there for me where I was like, okay, I've got this musical portion of what I can do that I've been working at for at that point, close to 10 years or whatever, um, or at least six or seven years. And then like the creative writing portion and the storytelling portion and the social mm-hmm. consciousness portion, you know, the sorts of things that you might, some one might arrive at when they're at that, you know, 19 to 21, 22 year old age, mm-hmm. um, just becoming more aware of the world around them. That started to come into focus and they sort of all aligned uh, right, right after seeing that, that concert. And I got much more interested in songwriting mm-hmm. started writing some really, really bad songs, <laughs> okay. but uh, you know, doing, doing what I could to start to, to hack away at that. Mm-hmm. and synthesize those different pieces of what, I, what I've been doing, you know, musically um, and creatively. And then I had a friend who owned a hookah lounge, uh-huh. of all places, <laughs> that I managed to convince to let me come sit in the corner and play and play some songs on like a Saturday night for, mm-hmm. for an hour or two. I had a friend that had a PA that did a bunch of DJ gigs, and he let me borrow it when he wasn't busy. And that was kind of how I first started playing out playing performing those songs and then i had a studio in, in arizona uh, there was a guy that taught some some um, engineering classes at the school audio engineering classes at, at arizona state where i was going to school and i think he made a deal with me where like if i helped him move a b3 which weighs like 600 pounds from his house back to the studio he would let me record like five songs of them for a couple hundred bucks or something like it was mm-hmm. a huge discount of rate and he was being super super nice just being being helpful because he knew i was I was interested in getting into doing more of this stuff. And that was kind of my crash course into recording. I mean, we went in for a couple of days and brought some friends of mine in for the jazz program to play with me. Had these five or six songs that I'd written that I thought were somewhat okay. And, uh, and that was really the first sort of EP of sorts that I put together. And that I do have on CD, which I could get off, you know, if I, if I could find, I don't even have a CD burner anymore, but if I could just file it off of there, that would be something I would probably like to share with some people as well, just to show them like, Hey, this is where for better or worse, yeah. this is where it started. Or maybe um, re-record first song, you know, like this is the yeah. first song I yeah. ever wrote. I mean, I think that stuff's cool. It's, it's like a, mm-hmm. people are always like, well, why would you want to do that? Like, it's not probably very good. That's all relative, man. I mean, like, yeah. it's like, look, I've been doing this for like six months. Like, what do you, what, I don't expect mm-hmm. it to be, you yeah. know, on a certain level, but I still think with anybody who are, are not just myself, anybody, I think it's just cool to see those things, to, to see those mm-hmm. just very uh, exposed sort of stages where you're, you're just, you're just starting. See you how you really progress. Any, any notion of being heard by anybody. You're just doing it because mm-hmm. it's what you're, what you're excited about. So. Yeah. I was in a band, not until I was like 23 and it was mm-hmm. a new wave band. We recorded I don't know, two or three. They were on cassette. Unfortunately, we only played like three, four shows in a couple of years. <laughs> and I think if we played more, because I would always be nervous, I remember. First, like yeah. 10 minutes, and then I'd get into it. But I don't know. I never thought of being in a band until I, uh, I met this guy who already had a band. 
and I had this little keyboard and I started out doing just sound effects, <laughs> right. you know, in the new wave band. Yeah. But it's pretty cool to go back. I just found a VHS tape because we did a couple of videos and mm-hmm. friend loaned me. He had a, he has a VHS player. So I went back. I haven't seen that. I think that was early nineties. It's the making of. So it's all yeah. the stuff my friend filmed like setting us up in the scenes. And, oh, that's super cool, see, man. Yeah, and to see myself that many years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really beautiful stuff to have. That's crazy that you guys captured that. I always wish I had videotaped more. I just watched, this is off subject, but the girl that played Punky Brewster, <laughs> the uh-huh. TV show, uh, there's a documentary that came out, and apparently she filmed everything from when she was a little girl and all these people that are now famous that she was friends with. And I guess she hadn't gone back and watched any of this, but she literally filmed almost every day and went through all this stuff. So, you know, that's kind of cool to have. What is it now? Like 10 or 15 years with people having smartphones and being able to Mm -hmm. make videos. You're going to be so much more of that than you could have had when I was a kid, you know, I mean, we, we would have a video camera around once in a while for family holidays or something. And that was like a big deal. It was like, we had this for three days, you know, it's going to cost like whatever it costs, 1500 bucks or a thousand bucks to rent this thing for three days. Here we go. But uh, now it's, it's so different. And I, I've got some interesting footage from back in that time. Like we used to make these homemade music videos with like friends of mine in the neighborhood. We've got some things like that, which are cool to go back and look at. It's, it's sort of like with everything I've been doing with the music channel and like the From a House in Iowa session series and all that. I look at that stuff and I think to myself, like, really, nothing's changed. Like, I'm still pretty much doing what I was doing when I was like seven or 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's a little bit of a different, different format, a little bit of a different um, access with the equipment you have today. But it's really just the mm-hmm. same, same thing. So let's talk about your music channel. Sure. Just tell us what it's about and how you came up with the idea. Yeah, so I originally got the sort of seed for it in 2011, somewhere mm-hmm. right in that range. Okay. And I built, actually at that time, with a friend of mine, a real sort of sloppy version of it that was m- much more cumbersome than how it works now, which is probably why it ended up only lasting for so long, because it just, it was not super functional for me to, for me to make it work on my end from like an administrative yeah. Uh, angle and i think it was just too cumbersome again black and mm-hmm. better term for people using it to to like have it be seamless enough that people did it regularly yeah. and actually interacted with it and it required passwords and some other things which i, I managed mm-hmm. to get past now at this point so I, I had that for about a year built into my website and ended up shutting it down and since that point never forgot about it i i'd yeah. say this to people all the time like i thought about it probably almost on a daily at least it feels like almost on a daily level since then because i just there was something about the idea of harnessing all these different pieces that are now out in our world whether it be youtube or facebook or instagram or emails or the streaming sites with spotify and apple music and all these different things where as an artist you're constantly having to put your stuff on there in the hopes that you're going to generate these huge numbers of people either discovering you and going and buying your record or going and buying a t-shirt on your website or coming to a show or whatever it may be. And it's just more, the more and more I thought about that, I'm like, man, you're just playing all of these as a, as an artist, you're playing these massively unbalanced 
percentages of, of chance that you're just, you're just mm-hmm. and you're, you have to do it every day constantly or else mm-hmm. you, just get, you just get trampled and crushed by everything going out there. And so the way I started looking at it was like, how can I take that audience and that way of connecting with my audience and turn it back around and bring them through those places, those respective yeah. um, platforms that I just mentioned to me where I can connect with them in a much more meaningful way for all of us. And that's where the channel was born, was to create this sort of hub of sorts that I can connect with people through a weekly series of emails, which I call broadcasts, mm-hmm. essentially what they are. And using like a blog format with hyperlinks and, and, and such, mm-hmm. I can then drive people out to the various pieces of content that I have, whether it's new music, whether it's a video, whether it's you know a, a written piece, whether it's mm-hmm. art, you know, whatever it may be at the, at the given time, the given broadcast. Uh, and so then it, it's a, just a, such a much more direct, simple way of doing things. You don't have to log in somewhere. You don't have to remember to go to some page. You don't have to remember to follow me on Instagram or yeah. keep up with stuff where you're just getting, just people are just throwing content at you constantly. I'm going to come to you every Monday night at eight o'clock and it's going to be there every week. And I know that you might not sit down like anxiously waiting for it at eight mm-hmm. o'clock on Monday night, but it'll be there. I made a folder to Dan Tedesco. And then I put them, I put them in there if I don't get the watch, you know, right away. So they don't yeah, get well, lost that's a in great my way email. To do it. But I, I think it's a great yeah. thing through the email. All you have to do is click on the link. Either takes you to YouTube or it, and eventually, yeah, no passwords, like, nothing like that. No, it's, it's super, it's, it's designed. And the, the big thing too, is that it's, you can use your phone. Yeah. So like somebody doesn't mm-hmm. have to have a laptop. I mean, I used to run into people with, buy my music at shows what i used to do up until launching the channel i would sell uh like dropbox links mm-hmm. so that yeah. people could like a zip file a dropbox link so mm-hmm. you could buy an album and i would email you at the show at the merch booth you yeah. get that link you go home open the thing mm-hmm. up and listen but this is even better because here you could sign up to the channel at, the, at a show for example get your welcome email which has a link in it to go to the archive Mm-hmm. of the DTMC where, you know, which yeah. is something you can access at any time, but for new people, it takes them right there. And on the archive, they can go into my back catalog. They can listen to my new releases. They can go start watching videos that they want. So you could leave a show, open up your email. And then I've tried to work this down to like two clicks. You mm-hmm. can be listening to, to my current album or go back and start listening to a playlist of my back catalog. And you could have your earbuds in walking out down the street being in an Uber, be on the subway mm-hmm. or on the L or be in your car, yeah. you know, and you're, you're there like instantly. And there's, you know, other than maybe looking somebody up on Spotify, which, you know, of course you can do, this is like, you've, you've owned this now, like you own this connection to me. You can download the music if you want to, everything's available. So you can stream it. If that's your way, of your preference, you can download it and you can put it into a playlist on iTunes or whatever, however you mm-hmm. want to handle it. It gives people the freedom to do, to, interact with it however they most like to mm-hmm. at the same time giving them a chance to support me which has always been to me the biggest missing link it's like it's great that people can sit and listen and be exposed to all of this music but i wanted to give people a really easy way to support mm-hmm. me or any artist that might choose to to work in this kind of a, of a, a platform down the road very easily and just give you the freedom to have access to everything i'm doing i mean it's mm-hmm. my full full back catalog of content, whether it be music, whether it be 
the weekly sessions I've been doing on the Format House in Iowa series. It's all there. So mm-hmm. you can go in and anytime you want, go back through all that stuff. And then you also get whatever is new um, coming out for the year that you're a member. And hopefully people mm-hmm. will just stay signed on and, and mm-hmm. check stuff out as we go along. So I wanted to ask, is there, I mean, maybe that's the reason, but is there a reason why not all of your albums are on Apple Music or Spotify? Only your yeah, last. Yeah, that's exactly why. Okay. Yeah. That's the, unique the not thing. to, and I know the, the payment on those is, you know, a tenth of a penny <laughs> per listen, sure. unless they're buying oh, yeah. the album. So, yeah, the, with me, I've started to look at, and this has been something I've, again, I've been thinking about for a long time and I've experimented in the past with things with, I've had albums on, I've taken them off, I've put them mm-hmm. back on just to kind of be able to A, B and test like how oh, things yeah. work. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the channel now, the way I look at streaming sites basically is like a modern day form of radio. There's To me, there's no real reason to dump your entire catalog on there mm-hmm. because I don't think the greater, greater majority of people are ever even going to listen to that. Yeah. They're probably going to go on and listen to the top four or five tracks that they see on your, on your profile, or they're going to listen to, maybe without even knowing it, listen to one of your songs on a playlist somewhere if you mm-hmm. get put on a bigger playlist or something, or if somebody shares you on a, a playlist they've created. So to me, you end up putting that stuff up there. And I feel like most of it's just there for the sake of being there. So for me, I'd rather put it on the channel and then essentially release again singles, just like you used to do traditionally yeah. with radio in, in the mm-hmm. past and use that as a way to get people aware of you, pique their interest. Mm-hmm. If they don't want to sign up to the channel, it still gives them a decent amount of, of content that they can just listen to because they like your music, but they're not interested in maybe going to that, to that depth with it. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, of course. But I didn't want to not have something available for those people as well. I kind of feel that you should put like a, a best of <laughs> Dan Tedesco because I'm, I'm well, I, f- I found you on Apple Music. That's where I, okay. like a couple of years ago, it was Adventureland. And oh yeah. I think it came up they used to do, maybe they still do it. Like every Friday they would have a free song. This is before I had yeah. Apple Music. I only had iTunes and I listened to that song and I loved it. And then I looked you up and found, you know, that's how I found you. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Well, what I've done, you know, I have to spend some more time probably focusing specifically on Apple music. I've been trying to get things in order with Spotify since rolling all this stuff out over the last eight months or so. With Spotify, I know they they create like a little like thing for artists. It's sort of a they they actually build it in the platform called like a This Is Dan Tedesco. Yeah, yeah. And it will have like like ten or twelve or fifteen it tracks. From shuffle them. Um, yeah, and so like that's something if somebody gets gets interested in what I'm doing, like I can share that with them, or they can go and listen to that and get kind of an overview. It's an easy thing for them to share with somebody else. As far as like the platform itself, showing it to people. That's another animal altogether. All, all I mean, if you're mm-hmm. a, if you're following somebody on Spotify and they put out a new track, mm-hmm. it'll go in like your new music radar and you'll get you'll get yeah. alerted of that. Mm-hmm. But as far as people outside of like your little network on there, there's some other playlists that you can get into, but it's all based on how much people listen to you and what the algorithm has to work with and how much data they mm-hmm. have to pull from. It's it's another animal unto itself, like I said. So I I do I do spend time trying to develop that because on a discoverability level or from a discoverability perspective, like that's a very powerful tool. 
And my hope is that people will come on, hear some of these tracks that are there, mm-hmm. maybe look at my profile and be like, oh, what's this music channel thing he's talking about? Or maybe go look yeah. me up on YouTube look see you the trailer up, for the detail. Or even online, find your website and then... Yeah, all those different points. So I've mm-hmm. got the channel positioned in, in all these different places so that if somebody discovers me and goes somewhere, there's a very, very good chance they'll at least see that. Whether they do anything with it, of mm-hmm. course, is another story. Yeah. But they'll at least see it, get some information about it, be aware of it, and then you know can go from there with it. I, of course, I haven't had a chance to see how it sells at a show yet. If somebody would jump on something like the channel at the merch booth, that's mm-hmm. going to be something to, to experiment with later this year when I start playing again. But I'm hoping it will be something that will be uh, a nice piece to have available. Maybe you have course. a little, uh, have an iPad or something there to to show them what the channel yeah. looks like. No, that's what I'd like to do is have something either either something with like a QR code you can you can scan mm-hmm. and go look at. Yeah. Or, or like you said, have something set up either digitally or like a physical piece you can look at. And then it would be awesome to have, I've seen people do this at like farmer's markets where you actually have an iPad locked in a little box on the sign up page yeah. and someone can sign up. And then when they're done, it just goes back to the sign up page. So somebody else can come up and do it. Mm-hmm. And that way, if someone's not at the booth, they can't just run away with the iPad, all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a process to, to dial that in, but. I mean, I, I I used to have great success from people that would come up and say like, hey, do you have a record for sale like a, for an album? Like, what's going on with that? I'm like, well, I've got my vinyl for American Darkness. You can get my full catalog at the time when I was still, when I was doing the Dropbox thing. You know, I would sell a package of like, you know, my four albums for like 30 bucks. Well, that's what I got. People would do it all the time. Yeah. Instead of being like, well, instead of paying 10 bucks a record, I'll just give you 30 bucks and get all four of them. And now it's like, well, if you can spend a hundred, mm-hmm. you can get all the stuff that comes with the channel, which includes my whole catalog plus everything else that comes with it. I bought the albums when you had that, that special. Oh yeah, them, that's right. You did. Yeah. I have an old iPod. It's the iPod classic, <laughs> which I still listen. Yeah. So I put them on there. I think I need to sync my phone up, which I haven't done yet. I have Apple, Apple music, which I feel, I don't know. I don't feel I don't want to say ashamed or, but I don't think the artists get again, any money. Well, you know, I'll tell you the other thing about the other thing about those platforms that bother me. And I've seen petitions go around for it. I always share them and I always sign them. And I, maybe I should try to do more on my own to actually initiate this change. They also don't include anything with album credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people don't care. Like the greater majority of people I know, I know just flat out don't care, mm-hmm. but those credits are how all of those people get acknowledgement and actually get a lot of work. You know, like mm-hmm. you're talking about production, like that's people are like, Oh, I really love the production of this album. Who did it? Oh, that producer, like, Oh, well for other musicians, like that's a great way. I mean, it's, it's, it's in, in the grand scheme of things. I know again, for the, for most people, it's not very relevant, but it's relevant enough for what it means for people's own business that, and it's just an important thing. I mean, like those, those, none of those projects or releases sound the way they do just because of the artist's name it's on there, myself included. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it just isn't how it works. And I don't like yeah. that so many people just get, get just flat out ignored. And mm-hmm. I don't know how those, how those platforms would incorporate something like that or if they ever will. But yeah. that's one of the things that I love about 
what I'm doing with the channel is that I can include mm-hmm. all of that information. It's all there, all the artwork, the people that worked on it with me. It's it's all there. So no, it's great, great you stuff. You get a chance to check all that out. And the what's um, it called from from a home in Iowa? From a house in Iowa. Yeah. House in Iowa, where I mean, sometimes you're playing a couple songs, but there's also video. You just sitting there talking about the process, you know, or. Yeah, and that's that's something I just got into. And that uh, gives it a done personal. That gives it a personal. Sure. You know, look into well, then, you as yeah. What I started doing right, and what I started doing with that. So it started out as just a live stream thing, even before the channel was launched mm-hmm, yeah. last year when we were in the pandemic, and I was I was live streaming every Sunday night. Yeah, I watched. That. And then when the channel opened, I was like, "Well, I'm going to move." Yeah, I'm going to move those those shows onto the channel. And then I started doing it on there. And then after I got in into a month or two into the channel, I started making some of those videos, just discussions about various pieces of my back catalog as they became kind of introduced onto mm-hmm. the channel. So yeah. I would, I'd, I'd take one week and I'd just talk about like, this is the story behind how, how a particular record came to be. And then I started thinking like, well, you know, just playing songs every week is not that exciting for me. I'm sure it's not that exciting to people that are on, that are, are checking out the channel with mm-hmm. me. Um, I was like, it'd be kind of cool to maybe just do that once a month. Yeah. And then the other weeks start to explore, like you said, some other pieces of the creative process. I started thinking about like, what sort of things do people commonly ask me? Cause I'm sure mm-hmm. if it's a common question I'm getting. There's probably people on the channel that would fall into asking it mm-hmm. at some point or wonder <laughs> about it. So it's like, why don't I just, start answering some of these questions. And instead of doing it in a written piece, I like doing it on video. It, it does feel more like I'm actually talking to somebody. Yeah, It's more personable for me, even in the way it's delivered. So mm-hmm. that kind of got worked in now at the beginning of this year, I've sort of broken up how I'm scheduling the programming for those sessions, you know, to follow more of that format. And it feels good. I, I like the way that I like the the variety of it. And it gives me something a little bit more interesting as well to sort of think about each week that I'm working on. And then the performances end up being once a month, you know, two, two to four songs or something. And I feel like it's more special for everybody included. So mm-hmm. for everybody involved. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of where it's evolved to now. And again, that stuff's all archived on playlists on mm-hmm. YouTube. So you can go back and look at stuff from 2020, got mm-hmm. it broken down for that season and the 2021 season, which of course we're in now. And I think I'm just going to keep it like that. where like each calendar year, will be broken down by playlists so you can go back presuming this thing goes as long as i hope it will at some point you could be going back like 20 years to look at this stuff yeah. so <laughs> it's funny because be earlier in the week you had talked about a question the worst question you could ask a musician yeah so that was that was what i talked about on the channel and i actually this week. i didn't have that exact question i mean well here's my question you want me to tell you write, what it is? <laughs> you write the lyrics first and then the music or a combination of the two. And I know that. That's the question. That's so the it question. It's freaking man, yeah. funny that <laughs> I saw that. Like, wait a minute. I got to cross this out. Yeah. But I want to know. I know each song is different. Maybe it comes from a dream. Maybe it comes. I want to know, like, where's maybe the oddest place a song has come to you? Mm. Like, I know as far That's as. Hard. A musician and a writer, it could come, it could just come to you anywhere. I mean, you could be sitting yeah, I in mean, a coffee shop. Honestly, yeah. If if I were going to say the oddest, I'd, I'd have to categorize this only because it's only happened once out of writing songs for, you know, 
mm-hmm. uh, 20, 20, 25 years or something, 20 years. There's a song called Banks in the Mississippi that's on American Darkness. And I actually wrote that in my sleep. So it's funny you mentioned okay. the thing about because wow. that literally did. It's the only time that ever happened. And I always joke that I wish it happened more because it made my life a lot easier. But mm-hmm. yeah, that song, I woke up. It was in when I was living in Chicago early on when I moved back there. So probably like 2006 or seven, something like that. And uh, and I woke up and had the lyrics and the melody and pretty wow. much had an idea of what the chords would be. And I sat down and typed it out and played it. I was like, that's a good song and it's done. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. And, I, and I started playing it out fairly quickly after that to see how, and people were always very drawn to it. And I'm, I, every album I ever made, well, my first real official record, Staring at a Green Light, came out mm-hmm. in 2009 and we recorded it in 2008. So that song, Banks of the Mississippi, would have been like a year, a year and a half old or something at the time. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, is that song going to be on the new record? I'm like, no, it didn't really fit. My next record, oh, is Banks of the Mississippi going to be on Tracks on Fire? No, it yeah. didn't really fit. Oh, is yeah. Banks of the Mississippi going to be on Death in the Valley? No, it didn't really fit. Although it almost mm-hmm. made it on that one because it would have, yeah. it could have fit on that record. And then when I got to American Darkness, I was just like, not only did that song, was it the perfect fit for the album, but it almost spurred an entirely different production style for the record, mm-hmm. which would have been this sort of like 60s Miles Davis, Columbia jazz era thing with like upright bass and some muted trumpets and maybe mm-hmm. like a like a dark sort of a tenor tone on sax and these real sparse sort of like this sort of dark atmospheric jazz treatment of the of the songs as opposed to how that record turned out so banks of the mississippi also being that it's the river that runs through the heart of the country you think about that record kind of the narrative of the album it just it had a very kind of poetic element to it that could have mm-hmm. almost even been the title track of that album if yeah, i didn't have yeah. hadn't written american darkness which just trumped it in terms of mm-hmm. being a title track but that one finally made it so i mean here it is i wrote the song in my sleep mm-hmm. and i didn't do anything with it until wow. Basically, a decade later. Were you dreaming about writing a song, or you were you dreamt about what the song was about? No, I just woke up with it with it in my in my wow. head. It wasn't wow. like I had this imagery, and yeah. no, it was wow. to, to, my memory of it was I just woke up and boom. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it happened or why. I wish I could figure out what I drank or ate or something that, that <laughs> yeah. did that because, like I said, it would yeah. it would make things easier if I could just make that happen every morning, but mm-hmm. it doesn't go that way. So you have. Am I correct? You have six studio albums. I wasn't sure about the uh, Dan Tedesco too. Is that? Uh, yeah. The, so if you count, I have to think this through myself. Maybe well, here I have. With you. Here, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll read them and see if you, I'm right. Okay. Staring at the Green Light, 2009. Tracks on Fire, One, 2011. Death in the two, Valley, two. 2014. Um, yep. Dan Tedesco. 2015. So yeah, the Dan Tedesco went to double record. So that's one okay. and two ended up being combined together. So that's four right there. Okay. And then and then American Darkness. American Darkness would be number five. That okay. would be five. And then if you count mm-hmm. what I'm releasing right now, which is a live album on the music channel, that would technically be number six. Okay. Okay. And then I've got a couple EPs. I who knows how mm-hmm. long this will last which came out kind of as a companion piece with American Darkness just over a year okay, ago, yeah. 2020. And then Dopamine, which I launched the channel mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Second one. I have, I have 12 songs here. We don't have, you don't have to go through all of them, but tell me a little bit about each song. Is there, is there a certain angle that you're looking for? I'll keep it brief. I mean, just like the creative yeah. process. You know, like what? Anything about the song. Um, let's see. Okay. 
So these are my favorite songs. Okay, first one right. we have Bound for Glory, which is off your first album. Now this okay. definitely has a Springsteen, like E Street. Oh yeah, man! And it's I hear the Badlands all the way. And I hear the Pogues sort of in there. There's horns in the sure. song. So that's the first one. Yeah, that one. What I can tell you about that is the title came from Woody Guthrie's autobiography, Bound for Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that sounded. And familiar. yeah, <laughs> and uh, which was a book I read. A, about a year before writing the song and it was one of the things I was going that I was reading at the time when I quit my job to start pursuing music uh, as a career so okay. it was a pretty monumental moment for me with all of that and so it just seemed fitting to open that record up that's from standing at a green light tab the number one song would be that to start start off my musical journey and it definitely harkens very literally to some of my musical influences but you know it's my first album so that, that's okay I love that album though now the next one's off the same album, Coming Home to You. I know what it's about but i'm not sure it's a guy who's on leave from the war coming home to see his girlfriend or wife yeah. but he's having night terrors and he's in a coma and then he dies so i don't know if he's pretty dark <laughs> if he kills himself um and i'm telling you it's one of the saddest songs i've ever heard i actually it's, teared it's up a- teared up listening to it after you know really yeah. listening to the lyric i'm coming home to you and i'll see you when you rise yeah. So it sounds like he passed away. He's he can still see his girlfriend or what, and he's waiting for her the the day when she passes, and 
Yeah, Join. that's interesting. I had not I had not thought of it from that specific okay. angle you just mentioned there before, but that that totally works. I purposely wrote that song to be ambiguous. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't I've never liked storytelling that just clobbers you over the head with this literate yeah. sort of oh, yeah. thing where it doesn't let the listener get involved at all. A little, which is a Springsteen thing. That's I yeah. grew up those are the guys I learned from. So and not just him, I mean, he gets it from other people as well, but it's just a storytelling device that I have always found to be pretty powerful. So that that song, you know, I wrote that right before I moved back to Chicago. I was in LA at the time. I moved to California for about a year and a half before I came back to Illinois. And I wrote that in my apartment. And I think at one point it was, I was traveling back and forth to visit an old girlfriend at the time. And I think I was, I started writing it literally about going to visit her. Mm-hmm. And then it went okay. to a deeper place from there. Yeah. I, I went somewhere else with it. We were dealing with the uh, like conflict over in the Middle East at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated mm-hmm. with the fact that more people my age weren't more engaged with that. And I wanted, I wanted to tell the story about the way a lot of people's lives at that time went. Mm-hmm. And um, I think and it was, you mentioned uh, Fallujah or something. And yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a direct mm-hmm. reference to that sort of topical mm-hmm. event at the time because again i wrote that in like 2004 i think mm-hmm. the piano it's just the lyrics and the piano just make you weepy yeah and when i first wrote it it was written on guitar but when i played it on piano it was very clear to me that that was where that song yeah. belonged i don't i don't get to play that one a ton just because to do it right i shouldn't say this more recently i've been able to play songs like that earlier on in my career i played a lot of places that were too noisy Mm-hmm. There wasn't enough focus from the yeah. audience and it wasn't mm-hmm. the right environment to perform something like that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I play a lot more like listening focused rooms these days, like places like city winery and things like that, where mm-hmm. you can absolutely do that. And it's, I, I can pull those songs out on a given uh, night much more uh, realistically than I used to be able to, but that, that mm-hmm. one takes a lot out of me to play. So it's, it's gotta yeah. be in the right, the right environment yeah. for it. So then, um, looking for a girl like you from Tracks on Fire. I just like this yeah. song. It's got a bouncy beat, harmonica in there. It's a catchy little tune. There's a line in here, though. Maybe I'm not hearing it right. I see you playing the silver stripe. Strike. You know that line? Yeah. Strike. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> what that is? So Silver Strike's an arcade bowling game. Oh, okay. And that song that song nice. was, was written specifically towards, who's now my wife, but when I first met her. And uh, there was a bar that... She used to hang out out with a bunch of my friends where I used to play and they had a silver strike like right up near where I would play. Mm-hmm. Sort of like okay. I was standing in the corner okay. and there was a silver strike okay. right there. So I just I referenced that as kind of a, a part of that yeah. part of that story. Not everybody always gets that one, but if you're I guess there's maybe there's a little bit of an age requirement to that mm-hmm. one, whether you're somebody I don't know when Silver Strike came to be, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's a bowling Or game. the area you lived in, because I've never heard of Silver Strike. And I'm I'm not yeah. that young, but 
Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't know if that's a Midwest thing or not, but uh, yeah. I mean, so we I have bowling alleys. You can, but not, you can interpret it as you like, but that's the literal, yeah. literal meaning. Yeah. Okay, and we got Tow Truck Man. That's off your first album. Also deals with someone going off the war, maybe a childhood friend goes yep. to bag- Baghdad and he doesn't come back. But I think it's about a man with a lot on his shoulders. I mean, I don't know if he's actually a tow truck man or that's kind of a metaphor. Well, that's that's it, man. I mean, that's like that's again, that's one of those mm-hmm. things like I don't like to make it totally obvious. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the tow truck man Maybe he is a tow truck man, but then again, you could also make the argument that everybody's a tow truck man. Mm-hmm. And that's a universal thing. Everybody's dragging something. So um, that's that's where that song sort of, mm-hmm. there's a little twist there because you don't, there's some references at certain points, you know, to like going to pick up like a broken down 98 Ford. Like you could be like, well, maybe he really is just a guy mm-hmm. out working the night shift driving around a tow truck. But it's it's certainly written with the metaphor in mind that it, it's not just about the the truck he may or may not yeah. be dragging behind. And then we have a truce, which is death in the valley. Hmm. I don't have much on this song, but I, I noticed it's really a Dylan-esque song, a Bob Dylan. Yeah, well, it's, it's the crazy rhyme schemes, man. Like that's there's sort of a subterranean homesick blues to it or something. Well, here, um, don't come crash and bash me out, cash or hash or lash me out. Yeah, yeah, it's um. That one, that's one of those songs when I play it live, if I miss one word or even almost like one uh-huh. syllable of one word, yeah. mm-hmm. it all comes crashing down because the, <laughs> the, the memory yeah. of it, it's like you just, it goes so fast mm-hmm. that if you don't, you have to be ahead of it oh, or yeah. else it'll just, it'll, it'll mm-hmm. just throw you out of the, out of the car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we recorded that for death in the Valley, we did that on the morning of the Sandy hook okay. shooting. I remember waking up in the morning and getting like a thing on my phone about that. And it just so happened we were planning to record that song that day. Mm-hmm. And um, the truce can certainly be seen to have, I guess, some darker elements to it, but I've always considered that song to be actually like kind of a peaceful protest in its, in its own way. Mm-hmm. 
with that in mind, a pretty powerful song to track on the day that something that violent happened in yeah. our country. And I, I, I play that song pretty much at every show at the, mm -hmm. uh, ever since it's come out. That, that's usually towards the end. And when I play it solo, well, you'll see there's a, there's actually, that's one of the, one of the songs that's going to be coming up later on the channel uh, this year with the live at the IPR, the, the live album I'm releasing. Mm -hmm. So you okay. get to hear what it sounds like, just mm -hmm. a little guitar and there's some video with it and mm -hmm. stuff. It's, well, a, it's, it's good. an intense song to play. It's good you play it a lot though, because then you remember the lyrics, right? If you play it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like if I were to try to sit down and play it for you right now, I might have a hard time. Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't performed that one in a while, but usually that yeah. one's ready to come out at any given mm -hmm. time. Yeah. So then we have um, Miss America. And the heels on the shoes are broken. Dirt was in her hair. Folks tried not to stare. So I bought her a cup of coffee. song but it kind of reminds me of uh, dan fogelberg kind of like a 70s ballad but i take yeah, i've it, had some people throw like new young on that one before as well as the piano and some of the pedal steel yeah. that's in there i was going to say there's a steel guitar in there yeah yep. yep there is uh, and this is not really about a person i would think it's about america yeah no it's yeah. there people have come up to me before and been like oh so it's about like this girl, I'm like, no, 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 no. Miss no, America yeah. is, yeah. again, it's a metaphor from something much bigger. Yeah. And uh, and so that's an interesting song because I can position it in a set list, you know, in a live setting, or if I was going to put together even like a compilation, like the where you put that song, it's very much like a resounding voice mm -hmm. against other things. You know, like you can sing a song like, Amer like, like, uh, like American Darkness or Death in the Valley, and then you put Miss America, which Miss America is off Death in the Valley as well, mm -hmm. off the record. But against that particular song, it it's a, it's a statement. It is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's very much a. I mean, when you have the sounds of pedal steel and and the the chord changes, you know, there's a kind of a Jackson Brown element to it. Even mm -hmm. it is very melancholy. But when you listen to it, at least what I hope you you get from it is very much uh, more of a a hopefulness. And then we have closing for the season. Death mm -hmm. in the Valley again. Um, yeah. Mostly about a man losing his job, factories closing down, maybe his future's yeah, that was unknown. Right, that was a big recession in 2000. I think I wrote it okay. maybe just a year or so after all that really sort of 
um, balance itself out. But I, I went through a big period of writing about people affected by that event because I was playing in a lot of communities and a lot of venues where the predominant audience was affected by that event mm-hmm. pretty much directly. So I, I watched people's lives just get totally flipped upside down and closing for the season mm-hmm. definitely is one that, uh, that speaks sort of to that. But I think if people who love Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, they're going to love your music. I mean, I'm not saying you're yeah, exact, but you tell a story. It's, the songwriting's really, really good. Um, what I, you know, I'm just, I, I want you to keep going with this list of songs, but to that point, I'd be curious to ask you something. You know, I, I, I end up living a little bit in my own little bubble because when you're a creative person, you're working on music. I, there's only a percentage of my time that's really spent listening to other music because I'm yeah. so in my, in my world of writing. And I think you, you, find, you know, I come in and out of it. Like when I'm really mm-hmm. in a moment of like a lot of creativity, I don't listen to much at all. And then I kind of, come out of that that space and I look around a little bit of what's mm-hmm. going on and I try yeah. to explore what we're doing a bit. I try to find other people or other artists specifically that are my age that do what you're talking about. And I know mm-hmm. that they're out there and I don't mean to sound so naive to be like, well, I don't know who these people are, who, where are they? I know they're out there, but I, I would like to know who they are because the one thing that concerns me a little bit is like the two guys you just mentioned Springsteen and Dylan, you know, they're older artists. I'm 38, you know, and most of their demographic is probably in their 60s and 70s. Nothing wrong with that or anything, but I try to look at like people my age that are into that kind of writing. Like, who are they listening to? Because they're not listening necessarily to them. And I don't don't know, like maybe it'd be somebody like Jason Isbell, which is a little bit more of like a country thing than where I fall in my mind. Although he has Mm -hmm. some stuff that goes a little bit more on the rock side. But I don't know, I don't know who those people are. I don't know if you do either. I'm just, it's, I'm always curious to ask people that are pretty steeped in the music world, just, you know, who are these people doing this that are my age? Or am I really just like ostracizing myself from my generation mm-hmm. in the style of writing that I choose to sort of, um, you know, uh, exist in? Well, the only person I could think of, but he's not, he's like, <laughs> I think he's in his seventies now, is Willie Nile. Yeah, right. I'm actually open for a little bit. Okay. I listen to a lot of music, but and the newer stuff, I don't know. I'm into all kinds of genres, but but I'm trying to think of someone who just plays guitar and singer songwriter. Or like the ones that like have the sort of the social consciousness element, speaking of the times and all that. Like that's what I've always taken away from guys like Jackson Brown and Springsteen and Neil Young and Bob Dylan. And, you know, like it's, it's a certain relevance to what's going on around you in the world at the moment you're in. And, and I'm, I'm already working on new stuff, which pushes even further away from some of the styles of the records that you're referencing. Cause this is, you're talking about the things that I did anywhere from, you know, seven to 10, 10 or more years ago now. Yeah. So creatively I'm sort of in a different space, even, and even the recent stuff you've heard from me, um, which maybe, I don't know if you'll get to any of this on your list or not, but I definitely have sort of gone and, what I would call a little bit more of a modern direction as of late. Well, the next anyway, one, just the just next like, ones are newer ones. We have backstage American darkness. Okay. Yeah. Some of this based on real life, what you've observed. Well, some of it is that song, you know, for me was really written more as an allegory. And I, I put it on that record, hoping that heard in context with the whole record that would sort of present itself without having to be too spelled out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people have referenced, you know, oh, well, it's sort of like you're, you're the road, like the, the road from Jackson Brown, you know, if you know that song mm-hmm. at all. And it's not like a, supposed to be a literal story about musicians or the world of entertainment, although, of course, mm-hmm. it can certainly be taken that way. But I, I wrote it more as an allegory for a bigger picture of just the theatrics that we have to sift through in mm-hmm. our regular life, whether it be with people socially, politically, whatever the case it's it's more it was written more on that that sort of uh, from that perspective and i used those specific story pieces slipping the curtain leaving the stage like animals returning to the cage reaching for her hand she draws the line I mean, you didn't see some old guy trying to grab some girl's ass. <laughs> you see all kind. I mean, I'm sure, like, but it's like you know, I'm, you've why you hear about people doing that all the time. You know, I mean, it's just that's just part of our part of our world. That's you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of other lines. I mean, it, it opens itself up more. Like if you go to the second verse of that song, you know, all the things that you want to believe that people are good and they never just. I mean. That's mm-hmm. that's a little bit more revealing of really where that song for me was was looking. You know, you're yeah. going backstage on the stage, not just one particular stage in a yeah. venue somewhere. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And then we have the wolves are running wild tonight. Definitely a political statement, I guess, on the tension. Yeah, it's funny man. I hear that somebody come to me once and say, hey, you know, the wolf populations are. I was like, no, nah, man, you, you missed it. <laughs> Yeah. you aren't listening to the yeah you really didn't listen to, this, to the song um, i was that was pretty funny i was just like yeah that's, that's fair enough <laughs> but it, i think it's a statement on you know mainly gun owners and maybe uh hopefully it won't happen but you know like a rebellion you know against yeah I, the you government. know for me you could say that but i i didn't write it with any sort of real like activist perspective it was more about understanding having an under like a realistic understanding of just the way things work you know and maybe some people like there is a reference to somebody going out and buying their buying maybe buying their first gun which was actually a line i took from a friend of mine that said that he was like you know things have gotten so crazy somebody's Mm -hmm. probably going to wake up tomorrow but that's not necessarily because they're they're like anxious to own a gun and they're all pro Mm -hmm. guns it's more about like that some people would feel so scared or be living in a world where they would, where they could be so scared that they would feel they need to go do that for their own protection. Yeah. That was more the angle that I was coming from. Yeah. Not that it's going to happen, but I better be safe than sorry. And yeah, just that we just, that we live in a place where things are at, 
you know, that they, somebody could go that, that route mm-hmm. with it or feel that they need to, which is an unfortunate, an unfortunate part of our, our world, you know? Um, I just think what they show on TV and the media and is just one, it's just a little bit. The real world is not nearly, nearly as bad as no. people are led to believe. I mean, the world's actually doing quite well on like mm-hmm. a global, a global yeah. level. I've just been reading some books recently all about that. It's it's actually a, a pretty good time to be on the planet, mm-hmm. despite all yeah. of the things that are out there. It's just you hear oh, yeah. about all the bad things, and you hear about it so often that it feels like that's all that's happening. And it really is. I think there's a lot more, a lot of good things more so than bad, but they focus. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in the world, so and it's obvious and- now. I'd say if you're not an intelligent person, you're following. That's you're, you nailed it, buddy. I mean, or you're getting up. You know, I believe people get up in the morning and they they figure out what they're gonna boycott, what they're gonna, what they're angry about, and maybe maybe they won't live that long. You know, but you know, you got to wake up. Oh, uh, it's happy. I think about what yeah, you have, well, just, what, where we are. Yeah, there's just so much coming at you right now in the media and it's all a certain shade you know Mm -hmm. of what's really going on in the world but that's all it's very easy for that to be all that you experience or interact with if you don't actively avoid it and Mm -hmm. try to try to see see the real picture and that stuff's not hard to find you just have to you have to be willing to look for it yeah and um i try to remember that that's actually some that's a perspective that I've been spending a lot of time writing about currently on some stuff that will probably be my next, my next album. We'll, we'll leave more for that later. Yeah. <laughs> so next we have a, this came out last year, truth. Yep. I think the guitar. Sound, uh, that actually goes exactly along with what we're talking about. Okay. I think the guitar to me sounds like a heartbeat in the song. Um, yeah. And that's cool. You get some backwards back. What do they call it? Back mastering or. No, the back, the backwards, yeah, where I flipped, yeah. the, flipped the audio backwards. Yep, yeah. There's an organ part that comes in in the bridge that's all flipped backwards and sort of creates this really kind of trippy drone sort of a tone. Mm-hmm. I like your songs with the, like you said, they're not really about one thing or they're kind of a mystery sometimes. Like the wordplay in this song. Sure. Well, truth yeah. was I got this idea from wherever. I don't know where it came from, but I got the idea to like personify truth. Mm-hmm. so almost treat it like a person like you're yeah, referencing yeah. a person mm-hmm. idea. although you are also sort of referencing an idea and so then when you you could start to think about it as a character and what kind of a character would it be in our world i feel like these days it would be a pretty isolated sort of lonely person that not a lot of people actually interact with so there yeah. that's kind of where that song starts off yeah well you say in the beginning he's playing solitaire yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, who, what kind of a person plays solitude? You know, there you go. Yeah. So we have 2444, which I love. It's And this is an instrumental. And Actually, it's funny, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you for one second. That actually might be the first thing I ever wrote now that I think about it. Because that really? predates just about everything that I mentioned, even by like a year or so, that back mm-hmm. way earlier in our conversation. Mm-hmm. I wrote that on a friend's guitar when I was learning to play the rain song by Led Zeppelin, you know, I have it, which is in the same alternate. Yeah. It's in the same alternate I, tuning. I have, I have it typed has kind of a Led Zeppelin sound. 
<laughs> oh, it, it totally is. I mean, I'm just like, I've been playing it might sound like. Yeah, and but. that opened the alternate tuning that Jimmy Page used for that song. Like you can, with which is the case with a lot of alternate like open tunings, you can play chords with one or two fingers. So I had been playing guitar for very long, maybe mm -hmm. maybe a couple of years, and I started. I got the the voicing, the the fingering, the voicings for the chords to play that song, and I started messing around with it and finding other stuff that I liked. And this whole thing came came about, and I got a lot better at playing guitar, and I added some other parts to it. I didn't write it all, having just been playing guitar for a year or two. I don't want you to get yeah. the wrong idea. But I got the initial sort of like main sort of theme and the, the melody and stuff. And then I used to play it with my buddy in the basement that I that I grew up playing with, who was just a drummer. And we used to jam, excuse me, jam on the thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got around to the point not that long ago, last year sometime, where I was like, you know what? I should just record this. So I recorded the main guitar part, and then I added some other pieces too, which mm -hmm. were not from the original thing way back when. Yeah. But that that goes back to the very beginning. It used to be called Kane County Limits, which was the Kane the, the mm -hmm. county I grew up in Illinois. Okay. And I changed the name just because when I started when I got it finished and I had it mastered, the version that you're referring to, I sent it around to some friends of mine to listen to. And when they send you back audio from mastering they oftentimes will send you like multiple files with different bit rates and different like resolute mm -hmm. audio resolution yeah. for mm -hmm. different purposes. One of my friends sent back one of the versions that was like the audio information was 2444, which stands for 24 yep. bit at 44 okay. kilohertz. Yeah. And he was just like, Oh, 2444 sounds really cool. And I didn't realize mm -hmm. they didn't yeah. see the name of the track. They just saw that. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Actually 2444 kind of has this like, Blade Runner futuristic vibe mm -hmm. to it. And there's some textures mm -hmm. on that record that reminded me sort of of that. Like it's kind of this melding of two different worlds sonically a little bit. So I was like, that actually mm -hmm. sounds really cool. And I sat down and came up with this sort of like mid-modern sort of look with these like flat kind of colors for the artwork for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that works for me. So it became 2444 at the very, very end of its, uh, of its gestation. I wanted to ask you some things about touring. Now your your last tour was 2019. It was just you and a guitar, right? Maybe a piano. Have you ever toured with a full band backing you up? Yeah, I've not toured with a full band of any sort in a long time. I've done some like one-off shows here here mm -hmm. basically just in, in Iowa, um, actually in Des Moines. I've done that maybe like three or four times in the last five years has been pretty rare so mm -hmm. i've thought about doing some more with that maybe regionally here in the midwest at some point it's just a logistical challenge more than anything i've gotten to really like playing in the solo very minimal format because i just i feel like i found a unique voice in mm -hmm. that space but at the same time there are elements even in the, in the, in the music i've done very recently here where some of the, the layers, whether it be like some organ pieces or some piano or a certain percussion thing, that just, they add up a, a very powerful element, like emotionally mm -hmm. to the music. And yeah. so to take that away, just because I can't afford to have it with me, I mean, it, it's unfortunate, but I'd like to try to get some shows together where I could actually have those, those full arrangements. And when I, when I say full arrangements, yeah. they're still pretty stripped down things yeah. i like working in very bold minimal choices even mm -hmm. when i have other instrumentation um so i could probably do it with just you know a couple of maybe two or three other people 
Yeah, yeah. Um, as long as one or two of them could also sing harmony with me or something at times. Mm-hmm. But I, Maybe I just think some bass be, and and drums. Yeah, I mean, I, I can carry my weight enough on guitar, and I like the challenge with how I play because it pushes me to really pull as much mm-hmm. music out of the instrument as I can. Yeah. But I think I think here in the Midwest, like maybe I've been thinking about like this fall, I'm going to try to get out and do some stuff by myself. Maybe next spring, you know, some of the new stuff I'm working on could warrant warrant having some of that other support sonically even more so. So mm-hmm. it might be something to look at at that point, but I'm definitely open to it and, and more mm-hmm. actively interested in trying to make it happen these days than I have been. Well, we were set, me and uh, Mike were set to see you you know, in Philly. I told yeah. you. Yeah. I'm sorry that didn't happen, man. That was literally the week they started shutting everything down. Yeah. I mean, I, I called, I called a few venues out East about three days before that show. And I was like, look, I think I'm going to have to reschedule this stuff. Yeah. Getting pretty crazy. And they were like, yeah, I remember one of the talent buyers in particular was like, we haven't had that conversation with anybody yet, but you know, we absolutely mm-hmm. understand if that's what you want to do. And they weren't super, super nervous um, in the way they, mm-hmm. they sounded on the phone. Yeah. But then three days later, all those places were closed. So, I mean, it, yeah. it happened very fast. And I'm going to work on getting that back on the calendar. Don't worry. Well, you come to Philly or New Jersey, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. What would be your favorite venue to play? Is there one? You no, know, or... it's hard to answer. No, it's, it's hard to answer because there's – some venues that I'm not big enough to play, but I've gotten to open for people that can fill them. So I've gotten yeah. to play there and like, they've been cool experiences for me, but they're not places I can regularly play. Yeah. So part of it is just that there are special opportunities. I mean, there's a place here in Iowa called Codfish Hollow, which is one of the most unique places I've ever, I've ever been in. It's an old barn off mm-hmm. on a yeah, farm. Cool. And it's just, it's an amazing place inside the way they have it set up. It sounds incredible. I opened for a guy named Langhorn Slim there uh, about about almost three years ago, mm-hmm. and I mean you got you have to be able to draw probably four to five hundred people to, to make it worthwhile. Okay. I can't make that yeah. happen, but I I got to open for him, and it was like I was describing it to people before after after playing that I was like, look, there's your life before you go see a show at Coffee Hollow, and then there's your life after. It's one of those mm-hmm. sort of transformative, <laughs> transcending sort of experiences, and. Uh, that that place ranks mm-hmm. high on the list for sure. I have I have a couple places you should check out. One is a Sellersville no, Sellersville Theater. Yeah, so I was actually going to come open for the Bodines there. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I think last year, and it, it just it didn't it didn't work out mainly just for logistic reasons. Mm-hmm. But I have heard cool things about that room, and I was I was stoked to possibly get to do it. But I. I need to figure out a way to get in there. Again, I don't know if I have the, the number and the draw to be able to like command a, a date there myself. It's, but, a, it's about um, 200 people yeah. in that place. Oh, that's not as big as I thought. I thought it was more maybe like closer to two or three times that size. So no, no, that could it's, be an option. It looks, it's, I think it's an old converted movie theater because the seats mm. kind of go down. I've been there many times. I would go see the Smithereens Jersey oh, band. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, I saw Graham Parker there. Dana Fuchs, yep. you know, Dana Fuchs. Oh, that name sounds familiar. I've definitely heard yeah. of her. If I've, I don't know if I've heard her stuff, I know the name. We've seen her there a couple of times. Um, she kind of sounds like Janis Joplin. Very, uh, oh, nice. Very energetic person. The, the first night we saw her, um, 
someone in the band was sick, the drummer, but she decided mm. to still do the show. And it was just her and her guitarist. And she blew the roof off the place. Just her and the guitarist. Just, yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. Now there's another, there's an event that takes place. I used to live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And okay. I lived a couple minutes from uh, Music Fest. It goes on every year. It's uh, 10 days of music. They have, okay. they, they, have, they have big bands there, but then also the smaller bands play on different areas. Uh, sure. But they'll have, they'll have hundreds and hundreds of bands in those 10 days. I don't know how many, maybe even 500. So that would be a good, yeah. good place, you know, to showcase your music. Again, that's, cool. in, that's, that's near Sellersville. I mean, it's like 40 minutes from Sellersville, but uh, I think I'm an hour from Sellersville from here. So those are two places I would suggest. Oh, I'll definitely make note of that. I appreciate it. Just to get you closer. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's pretty likely it's really that I'll be not that far. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, I was supposed to be a city winery in Philly. I'm fairly certain I'll, I'll get that back on the calendar mm-hmm. at some point. I don't know if it'll happen. And I don't know. Things have definitely come come around pretty quick here with like the vaccines and so on and so forth. I yeah. was originally planning. I think I'm waiting until I had that done, which I thought might not be until more like this summer. And I'm, I'm scheduled to go next week. So oh, good. Yeah. Uh, I had my first shot a week ago. Yeah. It's just this, this fall with everything opening back up, like it's going to be a really busy time for shows and a lot of, a lot of competition mm-hmm. for dates and things like that, yeah, as far yeah. as like from the artist perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to do the best I can to get out as much as I can this fall, but I would think like places like where you're at, that might end up being like more at the top of next year, just for the mm-hmm. sake of yeah. when it'll be a realistic option with planning mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and there's, there's another thing I was going to ask you about. Have you ever heard of a, a series called Outpost in the Burbs? That was on my mind. I was just going to, I just thought of that. Yeah. It's a church. Yeah. Cause I, I recently connected with um, their talent buyer also works for like a PR management company. I've been talking to a little bit mm-hmm. and it looks like he does some really cool things with like the programming for that. That's a great that place cool to come out yeah, I saw for something. I also am friends with the woman who does all the marketing for mm-hmm. them. So yeah, I've been there a couple of times. I saw the smithereens there with, well, the lead singer passed away a couple of years ago, but I mean, I know the guys I've known them for a while, but uh, Marshall Crenshaw sings with them now. Yeah. And I uh, for Marshall actually in Kansas city, like a year and a half ago. And they also have Robin Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms. Yeah. He sings too, not at the same time, but I've met hey, That's him. really funny that you mentioned both those artists because I opened for the Gin Blossoms a couple of years ago. Okay. So. Yeah. He's a great Sorry. guy. I met him a couple of times. And, uh, Robin, yeah, they're really nice guys. But the outpost is great acoustics in there. And uh, you, you actually sit in the church pews. It's actually in a church, like a really old church. That's cool. But I know Sean Colvin's going to be there. I don't think it's this year. It might be. They might already be scheduling for next year. Well, that's what a lot of places are doing. Like they're or they're announcing mm-hmm. things for like very late this year. Like people are announcing yeah. shows for like November and December, yeah. and then into the beginning of next year. Because the other thing you have to remember, which a lot of people don't think about, and I get it, it's part of the reason why I, I'm only doing certain things even this fall as well is I don't know when the capacity restrictions are going to A, oh, be yeah. lifted, and B, when people mm-hmm. will feel 100% about going in without them. Yeah. So you have certain artists that 
it's just not feasible for them to go to a place that they can only sell, you know, half the room oh, yeah. instead yeah. of the full room. So that's why a lot of people are waiting until like next spring because they're figuring by then things should be mm-hmm. really back to 100% capacity and people's confidence going back out and everything. So Yeah, I have, I have tickets to one concert so far in June. Hopefully it happens. It's um, the Happy Together Tour. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Chuck Negron, Three Dog Night. Oh, we've yeah. we've interviewed and um gary puckett and of course the turtles so yeah hopefully that goes well down. i've got a, i've got a bunch of dates like on hold and coming together for like september through what'll probably be in like september through like november ish okay and I'm, i'll announce it once things get more mm-hmm. solidified with all the plans but that's gonna like i said mostly be within probably like a 300 yeah in your mile. area yeah you know, yeah Mm-hmm. Stuff that I can do either as a one-off or as like two or three days, just just drive out and do them. Mm-hmm. And then the the bigger stuff, I think I'll probably wait until things are more like back to normal in the sense of like the rooms can be at their capacity and all that. Mm-hmm. So, you have a website, of course, dantedesco.com. You're on Instagram. Yep. You're on Facebook. I'm on everything. Instagram. Okay. Yeah, Facebook. Uh, and then, of and course, YouTube. check out the music channel. So it was great. No, this was great, dude. I appreciate all the questions. That was that was a fun discussion. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Cool, man. Okay. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Okay. I've been kicking around the town of Moline almost since age of fifteen. I had a family, but they don't miss me. They left me on the banks of the Mississippi. Today's interview was recorded on Zoom and at Did You Say 7 Studios in Washington, New Jersey. Go to the YouTube channel for exclusive video content. Exit music by the band 99%. Today's show was produced and edited by Jim Thatcher. You can find Jim and Mike Talk Music on Apple Music, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The songs of truth, bound for glory, coming home to you, looking for a girl like you, Tow Truck Man, Miss America, Backstage, and Banks of the Mississippi, used with permission from Dan Tedesco. (laughs) 